Sometimes we look back on the glory days. This is when it was really good. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has never fully reigned in any culture ever, except the people of God who've been drawn out of every culture. So there's never been a course of the age, the way of the world that was actually not in rebellion against God. If you were asked to describe yourself, you probably wouldn't begin with the part about being a rebel and a failure. But that's what you are, what we all are. Today's teaching will help us all to acknowledge that we've walked in rebelliousness to God, taking His good things and twisting them to suit ourselves. Once we've faced that uncomfortable truth, the reality of God's grace will bombard us with its overwhelming generosity. We begin our lives with bad news about our spiritual condition, and we can end it with good. Now, here's Daniel in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1, with part 1 of our study entitled, Grace in the Mess. Do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first? The bad news, right? Don't you hate it when people say that? I don't like that one at all. But, I mean, it's funny, I was doing a, a search on the phrase, good news, bad news, and it's amazing the number of jokes, stories that come with that phrase together. Do you want to hear the good news or the bad news first? And uh, many people instantly respond that I want to hear the bad news first. Is there anybody here who really would rather hear the good news first? Okay, there's some of you. Cool. Okay, well, God bless you. I don't think it's wrong. It's more of a preference, right? I think I thought a lot about why people like to hear the bad news first. And it's like, well, if you hear the good news and you know that there's bad news tied to it, then it kind of taints the good news, right? If you hear the bad news first, then you can kind of deal with the bad news. And then the good news becomes something that you can celebrate and 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 it's placed that way. Now, I bring this idea up, the good news and the bad news, is because in our series here in the book of Ephesians... Today's message functions in that same way. We hear the bad news, and I'm here to tell you that the bad news is going to be worse than we imagined. And then we hear the good news, and the good news is better than we imagined. And it's fascinating that it's that way. When you think about what justice is, justice is life is messy for a society. That's what it is. So justice-seeking as a church is because life is messy across the globe and that God has a purpose for the people of God within a messy world. What I did really learn from Pastor Ken is this phrase I say, get it? Good, that's right, I like that one. But but his idea of, of justice and that the gospel of Jesus Christ implies a role that the church has to make life less messy for a society, and I mean a global society, that because of the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, now the outgrowth of that message is that we seek for justice, 
than when we see people who are on the margins. We seek to help them because if we were on the margins, we'd want, want people to come help us. And if you think about the fact that today, in 2013, in Vancouver, Washington, there are people who are worshiping Jesus. It means that somebody sought justice along the way to get the gospel to us, to help us along life's way. For today, I want you to open up in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to take verses 1 to 10 today in this Life is Messy series. Of course, if you're on Twitter, Facebook, our hashtag today is that CCC Life is Messy. What's interesting about today's message is that what we really realize is that we are just as messy as the life we're a part of. And I, I think what happens, for me at least, is I look at messy circumstances, and it's kind of like the reason the circumstances are messy is because of the circumstances or because of somebody involved in the circumstances without being self-reflective and saying, you know what, I'm just as messy as these circumstances. And there is a glorious freedom for us as followers of Jesus when we are willing to say, life is messy because I am messy. Part of the reasons this is so messy is because of me. I mean, isn't that the gospel message? The gospel message is that we are messy and God loves us and he sent Jesus to die. So every time there's a situation that's messy, that's exactly why Jesus died. To bring back together what was broken. And there's a freedom for us to be able to say, hey, I'm just as messy as, this, as my life. I'm just as messy as the person whose messiness is making my life exceedingly messy. We have a role to play. And what we learn is that although we're just as messy as our circumstances, there is grace for us in the mess. The key is not to say, I'm not messy. The key is to say, I am totally messy, but God, but there is grace for me. And that reality is true. That's what it is. It's true. It has roots that you can grow down into. Because if you try and pretend like you're not messy, you build a whole identity trying to pretend like you have everything together. And how messy is that? Trying to pretend that you're something that you're really not. So you build a whole identity. And because you don't want to be, see yourself as messy, you make everyone else really, really bad. You judge everybody. You look down your nose at everybody. And we've all done this, right? Because we're trying to hold up a facade of togetherness. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we say, Lord, I don't have it together. You have it together, God, and you have given me grace to be able to say, I am totally messy, but God's doing a great thing. God's not finished with me yet. And this chapter, then this section here is all about that reality, that there's grace for us in the mess. So let's, let's read. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10 with you, and then we'll break it apart. Look at what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, picking up in verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedient, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as we read that, I'm sure you realize that the first three verses, Paul gives us the bad news first. And the bad news that Paul gives us is very provocative. And if I wanted to sum up these three verses, I would do it this way, that you are worse than you realize. You are worse than you realize. Now, I'm going to unpack that for you. And I want you also to notice that I actually put it in the present tense. Not you were worse than you realize, but you are worse than you realize. Now, I say you, I include me in that collective you, okay? We are worse than we realize. I thought about for a little while calling this section, you nasty. (laughs) But I figured that might be like too provocative, but I, I still loved it. I toyed with it, you know. You nasty, you know. But we're all worse than we realize. Look at what it says. Now, my translation begins with, and you, and then there's three words, he made alive. Now, if you have those words in there, in your translation, it's in italics, which means it's actually not in the Greek, but it's used to help you understand it. And it's picked up from verse four and following. So if you take those out, and, and I don't think it's a wrong thing to put in there, they're trying to make the contrast, but it says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's how it begins. Now, trespasses are lapses or us as rebels and sins speak of our shortcomings or us as failures. So he says, you were dead as rebels and failures. Now, I don't know about you, but that is not the way I want to start my day. I mean, imagine you wake up in the morning, you're a rebel and a total failure. It's like all Self-esteem studies tell us that you just should not think that way. But that is the way this chapter begins. Now, we think of ourselves as a lot of things, but it's very rare that we think of ourselves as rebels and failures, right? But that's exactly what God's Word tells us that we are, that each one of us are rebels and failures. We rebel against God by nature and we fail at living up to the standard that God has created us for. That's why I say, you're worse than you realize. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says that you're dead because we're rebels and failures. And then in verse 2, 
Paul says, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, notice this. You once walked according to the course of this world. That word course is the word age, the ions. What it's saying is that for each person, we walk according to the way or the course of the age in which we live. We all are socialized into a world and our automatic way that we live is in accordance with the values of our culture. That in every single culture, there is a cultural value. And no matter what culture is, whether it was a culture of yesterday or for you young people, the culture of tomorrow, whether it's in the West or European or the the East and the Far East, no matter where it is, there is a, a way that we all walk. And that way, it's interesting enough, if it's outside of Jesus, says, according to the prince of the power of the air. What that means is that traditionally, the demonic realm was the, the air above the earth. That's a, a tr- traditional way of saying it. So the idea is that, is that Satan, he who is in rebellion against God, The way, the course of the world is Satan's way. Now, this is pretty provocative, isn't it? One commentator said it this way, speaking about the course of the age. It says, all that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time in the current world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitute a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again, inevitably to exhale, all this is included in the course of the world. It's a subtle, informing spirit of the world that we live in. The German language uses the word zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. Now, what's interesting is the only way and the only time you realize that the way that I once walked was actually completely the wrong way is after you come to know Jesus. How many of us, and I was definitely in that camp, I didn't grow up in the church. I got saved at the end of my college experience. And I didn't realize how far off base I really was until I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm like, wow, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I thought that. I can't believe that I valued that, that I promoted that not only with my words, but with my lifestyle. See, the reason I say we don't know how bad we really are is because oftentimes only until Christ comes into our lives and reveals himself in us do we realize, man, I was way gone. I was way gone. So what this means is that for each person, no matter what culture, and see, and and what this does is it also, it levels every culture. Because we always live in our generation had it more together than this generation, the generational wars. It's amazing that right now I was talking to someone like, man, I just don't understand the young people today. I'm like, yeah, your parents said the same thing about your generation. And their generation said the same thing about their generation. And guess what? Kids today, they're going to be like, I don't understand the next set of kids if the Lord tarries. Sometimes we look back on the glory days. This is when it was really good. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has never fully reigned in any culture ever, except the people of God who've been drawn out of every culture. 
So there's never been a course of the age, the way of the world that was actually not in rebellion against God. We're all absolutely, positively in rebellion against God by nature. Notice this, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now look at verse 3, among whom you also were all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now notice this, it begins among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and of the mind. You see that? What it's saying is that when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and me speaking to you today, there was a time when all of us lived in total rebellion against God. We conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Now, that word lust, it means the desires. And not all desires are bad, but the idea of the flesh, it's a way of living that's in rebellion against God. It's not talking about skin. It's talking about approaching our lives in these bodies in a way that pushes against God. It says, no, Lord, it's not your way. It's my way. It's what I want, not what you want, God. And when we live after those lusts, what I've found as I've pondered this and lived a long life of rebellion against God is that we take God's good things and we use them to selfish ends. Like things like food. It's, food's good. Nothing wrong, but if you take food out of the authority of Jesus, you get gluttony or an eating disorder. If you take sleep, sleep is necessary to be alive. But if you take sleep out of the authority of Jesus, you have either laziness or we live in a culture where our work-life balance is kind of out of whack, and so we don't sleep. We're too busy doing. You take our sexuality. God created it as good, but we take it out of the authority of Jesus. You have promiscuity or some sort of type of hyper-spiritual attempts at asceticism. You take each thing that God made good, and then you use it outside of the authority of Jesus, and now you have this lust of the flesh that makes all of us children of wrath. Now, think about this. Think about this. For those of you in here today, maybe you're watching online, you're in our chapel venue, one of our venues, and you're here today, and you're not a Christian, right? And you're hearing this. I want you to be very clear. I am telling you that the way God views the tone of your life is that you are living in utter abject rebellion against him. Even if you're trying your best to be a good person, you are completely and utterly in rebellion against God. You're a total rebel. You're a total rebel. And there's nothing worse than being a total rebel against the God who created you, who sustains you with every single breath, and who has an unbelievably beautiful plan for your life. Like he has dreamed your life so radically more beautiful, having all the things that deep down in the core of who you are, you really want. But you're so busy running after the spirit of the age because you were socialized in this culture, you value the things this culture values, all these things, that you're totally missing out on real life. And I'm here to tell you that by the end of the service today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to begin to follow Jesus so that that plan for your life will blossom and you will be absolutely blown away. Now, 
for those of you in here today who you've already placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm here to tell you that you are exactly the same as the people who didn't. The only difference is that you have acknowledged that you're a rebel and a failure and that God has placed his spirit within you and you are in the process of learning a new way. That's the only difference. One group is in rebellion. The other group says, I am a rebel. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have the spirit in me. And God is in the process of helping me to experience what it means to live in the kingdom, in this new world, in this new approach. And what's interesting is our rebellions, our lust of the flesh, they don't leave when we get saved. We can just call them what they really are. We could say, that's rebellion. And for some of us, when you get saved, right, it's not like all of a sudden everything is fixed, right? You just realize that everything was really broken. And God takes certain things. I remember when I got saved, I was just like... I curse like a hip-hop artist. I grew up in that culture where every other word was an expletive. And when I, when I put my faith and trust in Jesus, it was like, man, I was like, I had a potty mouth, right? And God took that. All of a sudden, one day, I'm like, wow, I haven't thought of a curse word or cursed in a long time. But there was all sorts of things that weren't yet fixed. You know what I'm saying? So he, he grabbed one thing and he yanked that out. I'm grateful for that. But there's all sorts of things that I'm still just battling against. I'm working against. And so if you're here and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're worse than you realize. But God, by his spirit, has given you the opportunity to say, that's not okay. I've always done that. But that's not what it means to be a child of God. And we're all in the process of unlearning and learning anew a whole bunch of things. And that's why one of our core values here at Crossroads is that all of us are in process. Why? Because we're all in process. We all have habits, desires, issues that God is still working on. And we give each other the grace to be there. We say, okay, we acknowledge we're all in process. I'm in process. You're in process. Nobody here has arrived. No one here is the Savior except for Jesus himself. And he arrived. And so we give each other the room to be growing. And we help one another along the messiness of the growth curve. We help each other take the next steps with Jesus. Now, if you needed a scripture verse other than these three verses to back up that you are worse than you realize, listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. What the apostle Paul does in these verses is he pearl strings together about six Old Testament quotations. Listen to what he says. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace... They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the Apostle Paul's summation of all of the Bible's teaching on the condition of humanity. We are worse than we realize. So that's the bad news. Jesus is 
I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus Israel Radio, that each one of us would meet with Jesus what I like to say, at street level. Because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there. And Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and your world. God bless you so much. Jesus is-